0: Wow, it's the end of the Book of John. Uh, we have been looking at this for quite some time, and in uh, next week we will begin First John, kind of the application of whether we've really understood uh, the Book of John. But before we come uh, to our text, our last text this morning. Um. I asked myself this question looking at John 21. And when I ask you this question. And here's the question. My question was, John 20 seems to be a great ending spot. And let me read, for instance. So, so, so Thomas puts his hands in Jesus' side, and, and his finger in his, in his hands, and he touches his wound. And he realizes that he is, he is a resurrected Christ and he says, he says, my Lord and my God. And then John says, after that, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Doesn't that seem like a good place to stop? Then all of a sudden you're reading about Peter and the fish and the, Well, let me tell you why, as I I studied this and looked at it, is because this is great literature, and if John opens up with a prologue, which he does in John 1, 1 through 18, then there has to be an epilogue, and so I wanted to make sure I understood what a prologue was, and an epilogue, okay, so I'm going to read what it is, and and then then, uh, make my point, and then we'll read the text. What is a prologue? A prologue is the the preface or introduction to a literary work. In other words, it kind of sets up what we're going to be talking about. And then the epilogue is the concluding section that rounds out the design of a literary work. Kind of what does this all mean? Therefore, so what? What's going to happen here next? What is the prologue? Now, ladies and gentlemen, one more time before we leave John. I don't have time to read the whole prologue, but it's John's statement that Jesus Christ is no ordinary person. For it says, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, and the Word uh, came uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. Nothing was made that was was not made that was made that, that was not through Him." In other words, let's just stop here for a moment and think about that. That means it matters to you whether you believe it or not. That's the prologue. And so the rest of the book of John, Jesus, through his signs, is saying, that's right, that's who I am, that's what this book is about. I am your God and your Savior. Okay, so then what is the epilogue? Well, the epilogue we find in John 21 and it is the restoration of Peter and it is his commission to take this good news into the world. In other words, prologue is this Jesus Christ came into the world to be the Savior, to be the light of the world. Epilogue, you, if you're a Christian and you understand these things, just like Fritz said, then you're going to share that. Okay, now you go, oh my goodness. Here we go. I'm going to go. I need to now I know this. I need to share my faith. No, 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 no. Let me tell you who the sermon's for. It's for you who feel like you've already blown it. This is not for all the basically decent, good people here at Redeemer that get, that they know enough to be ethical and good, but they don't share it either. I'm going to, say, but but if you're the person who's like, man, I remember the day I believed. I used to share my faith, but you know what? I have committed such heinous sin, repetitious sin. There's no way I can be a witness. Oh, this is for you. And this is the amazing thing about this epilogue. Do you believe that? Well, I want us to look at our text. John chapter 21, 15 to the end of the chapter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep, my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned against him during the supper and said, Lord, who who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are many other things that Jesus did, where were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit's work today. That we would know the power in forgiveness. The power in the love of Jesus. Father, I'm sure there are those who feel like they're so far away. And so, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that this whole book would be worth studying to to gather back those who are so broken and restore the joy of their salvation. And I ask it in your name and for your sake. Amen. I think it's a wise man to tell his wife on a regular basis... uh, you know, honey, I love you. I love you, honey. Because there's something, there's really something life giving about that, isn't there? Tell somebody you love them. And so, over my 42 years of marriage, I have often told Marybeth, honey, Marybeth, I just want you to know how much I love you. I love you. Not just because she does wonderful things, or, but hey, honey, I just want you to know I love you. <laughs> and one time I said that to her, she. <laughs> She looked at me, she said, okay, give me the details. <laughs> and we kind of laughed about that, so every now and then I'll say that, she'll just say, uh, give me the details. Of course, it's, it's one thing to say that you love someone, it's quite another through your acts of service that demonstrate there's meaning behind those words in there. But in our text, Jesus is asking a man, he's asking this man, Peter, who committed the act of love forsaken, betrayal. Peter, do you love me? He's asking the question to a man who betrayed him. Just a few weeks earlier, Jesus declared at the the Passover meal, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And Peter answered him, Though all these guys, though they forsake you, I will never forsake you. Imagine that. So, the question is, why in the world would he ask a man in the details so quickly after he had broken this vow of undevoted love? He says, why would he ask him, do you love me? Do you love me? Well, for two reasons. And and I hope your heart's not so hard that you can't come back. But first off, to heal him. To be healed. Anybody need to be healed this morning? Of your betrayal. Of your slothfulness. Of your indifference. Of your complaining against God and man and whoever you work for. But not only to heal him. But to commission him. To send him out. Jesus didn't ask. Why did you do that to me? How could you do that to me? You were with me for three years. And not only that. You were one of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. You were at the transfiguration. I invited you in. And you betrayed me. Why would you do that? He doesn't do that. How could you do that? Why would I ever think of trusting you again? Have you ever said that to people who've wounded you? How can you do that? But Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And what is Peter's response? You know what his response was? you all see it here? Do you see what Jesus says? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. You know that I love you. You know I'm not lying because you know all things. Now here's the question as we end the book of John having studied the person and the work of Christ and his love that's been revealed for his sheep. Now here's the question I want to ask you. I really want to ask you this question because here's here's the crux of the matter is do you love him? Do you love Jesus how do you answer that question so if there's one thing I want to get across this morning is this unless you love Jesus because he flourished loved you you will never serve him you're just not I'm sorry but you can you can this is not about good people who are the good people Oh, those who share their faith. Do you know there are a lot of people who will share their faith because th- they just like to win arguments? My fact, I have often, to be honest, you, I've shared my faith many times. I remember one time at Mississippi State, and this is not on my notes, but, and so, Fritz here I'm editing upward, okay? <laughs> but I remember at Mississippi State, and we saw the Lord take about 30 or 40 students, and then Three years there were 500 students coming. But I remember one particular day I had shared the gospel uh, with several people. And, and they all came to Christ. And all of them are walking with the Lord now. But I remember going home that night. <clears throat> and I remember going out in my backyard after 8. And I said, Lord, I have no idea where I'm with you. Just, just because I share the gospel, maybe I'm good at it. Maybe it's fun. And I can, I, can, I can, you know, maybe outwit a lot of unbelievers. It means nothing. The question is, do you love me? And I want to tell you this. If you love Jesus, you will feed his sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Now, this is for you today who go, that will never happen now. it's just too far. I've gone like 15 years with hardening my heart against God. Peter sinned in a tremendous way and he's restored. And I want you to know there's a hope for you in that. Matter of fact, you might for the rest of your life be the very best witness of the love of God, but not until you believe it. So, how do we see this? Well, there's a context of Peter's failure. And then there's the confrontation concerning Peter's failure. There's a context. You've got to know the context. You've got to know the confrontation concerning Peter's failure. I mean, Jesus was hard on him. And then finally the commission after Peter's failure. All right, so what is the context? Well, here's the context. Where do we find Peter in this passage? Well, you don't see it here, but right above that. He's fishing. He's back to fishing. So Jesus Christ has been raised. He's seen Jesus Christ raised from the dead, and he's, and he's back to going fishing. And what's really amazing is he said, hey, guys, let's go fishing. And they, they still follow him. So they're, they're fishing. And, uh, you know, they're catching nothing. Kind of reminds you of Luke 5, right, the first time they met. It's kind of a, interesting. But uh, so he's out there. He's not catching anything. And so here's what I think Peter could very well have been thinking is, listen, I know there's a resurrection I've seen Jesus. I don't know what all of his purposes are. What does it mean? What does it, in fact, what does it mean in your life that he's raised from the dead, practically? But, Jesus, but Peter says this. Whatever his purposes are, I have blown it. I'm not in. You got it? I'll never be used. You think that way sometimes? You know, I've been, I've been struggling so long with pornography or I've been struggling so long being, uh, being mean to my wife or my husband, being unchristian. I'm not, I mean, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. Because there's no love in my heart for Jesus or for other people. But I want to ask you down deep, do you love Jesus? Because you see, I think when Peter denied him, don't y'all think he loved Jesus? So the question ends up being, how did Peter get where he is? And how have you gotten where you are if you're so far off course that your heart's become so hard or you don't really pray? you're not, Well, I mean, you might not do all the bad sins, okay? You might do that. But you know, some of the ones that will damn you the most are doing all the good ones. Like I'm a decent person and, you know, and whatever. But God is always interested in your heart before him. That's what he's interested in. Not even your obedience, but your heart. So what got him into trouble? Well, I'm just going to hit these briefly. Well, first off, it was pride, right? We've already kind of addressed that. You see that uh, in the passage I just read. And I, by the way, I think he really believed what he said. Lord, I, I, you listen, you don't know me. <laughs> and Jesus, of course, he said, yeah, I know you, Peter. Um, and what is pride? Pride basically is self-sufficiency. I can do it. I can make it happen. Now, here's, the, here's kind of the crazy thing about pride is you're not going to be able to make it happen when you're dying are you? You're not going to be able to go, I'll just get myself off this deathbed. And so God in his grace often allows us to fall in order to put our faith and trust in him. In fact, one commentator said Jesus could not have prevented Peter from sinning and betraying him because Peter needed to learn in his failure of his arrogance and his pride. I can tell you this in my own life. When I, went, I, I was converted pretty radically. Uh, in a moment, when I was 17 years old, I really was. I wasn't looking for God, and I, you know, I had life by the, by the tail, so to speak. It's kind of weird I got converted because I wasn't the broken guy. He broke me pretty quick. But I'm going to tell you something. For the next 10 or 12 years, because God knew he wanted me to be your pastor one day, he absolutely takes every bit of my self-reliance out. So that when I was at seminary, okay, I would, my first year, I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. I really am. So I'm like, man, I, why did, I wish I'd never become a Christian. This is terrible. Now I'm at seminary, and my mind's spinning. You ever, you know, your mind never spun. You can't get it because it's just spinning. And Okay, well, that was me at seminary my first year. I'm thinking, and nah, all these other guys are, and uh, man, I used to try to find the biggest guy in the class. So I'd sit behind him. You know why I would want to sit behind him? Is so I could hide, and the professor wouldn't say, uh, Mr. Farnsworth, would you pray for us today? You know why? Because my, I was so coming unglued that it was like, God, thank you for candy canes and Christmas and snowmen. That's about probably what I would have said. And you know why God had to do that? And you know why he continues to do it? It's because of self-reliance. We can make it happen. No, we can't. Is that what you need? Do you need self-reliant people around you? Do you need Peter never failing? Or do you need to know that if Peter failed in such a dramatic way, that God is still working in your life? I want to tell you something. I need that every week. Because there's not one week that has gone by that I am worthy to stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel. So it's pride and then... And then just uh, a, couple of, a couple others on this uh, first point. There was prayerlessness, right? Oh, yeah, hey, these guys, they're going to forsake you fine. Jesus takes Peter to the garden with him. And Jesus says, please pray for me and pray for yourself. And what is Peter doing? He's sleeping. Maybe a good sign of the fact you're self-reliant uh, is you're probably not praying. Like we as elders of Redeemer, can't we just kind of go, hey, we got this thing going, we got money coming in, we got this going, we do this, and we got that. And then all of a sudden, we just stop praying and God says, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to quit converting people. Prayerlessness. What's your prayer life like? And I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to go, are you self-reliant? Are you trusting in yourself? And then, and then the last thing is, Peter did it on his own. He was like, he was the John, um, John Wayne of the spiritual route. And one of the ways you know that you're self-reliant is, you, you, it's, it's like one guy told me not long ago, he said, oh, you know what, I just don't like church people. I'm a Christian, but I don't like church people. All right, well, maybe, neither do I sometimes, but, but I said, what are you talking about? I love being with God's people. I love being around broken people. I love being around people who need Christ. I want to be in fellowship. I want to be in church. I want to get together with people. Let's have lunch together. Well, I can tell you this brother is pretty much denied the faith now. So that's that's Peter. Is that you? Well, so that's that's the context of the fa- failure. Now let's look at the confrontation concerning Peter's failure. Okay, so let's just so that's context, and if the shoe fits, where, but and you're going, you're right, Hal. I, I'm a I'm not what I need to be. But I want to promise you that if you want to come back, you can do it today, okay? Matter of fact, the years the locusts have eaten, the Lord can return tenfold if you believe the gospel. If you believe that the story's not about Peter and how wonderful he is, or it's about you and your great commitment to Jesus Christ, but it's about Jesus Christ coming into the world for sinners, for you, then there's great hope for you. And so he confronts him. Jesus loves Peter he died for Peter and he's going to use Peter And so Jesus now confronts him Now it's a a difficult confrontation But one one that we can learn from Because you see Jesus is the ultimate counselor And let me tell you how Jesus does counseling he gets to the bottom of stuff But if you sit before the Lord and the Lord says okay Okay Let's, let's sit down and think about things here. He's going to get to the bottom of where your heart is. And so the first thing he does is he makes us look into the face of our sin. How seriously do you take your sin? Uh, really? So it's no big deal. You know, God is gracious. God is going to forgive me. I know that I did something. I probably I, you know, probably ought to get reconciled to this person over here. But, you know, uh, I know God's gracious. I don't really have to get reconciled because, you know what, I'm reconciled to him. You don't take sin seriously. Well, God is love and God is gracious. But, you see, that kind of understanding of sin uh, is uh, basically what uh, is called cheap grace. But you see, if God just kind of blows over everything, it's like, well, I'm, you know, I love you. I get it. I get you had a bad, you had a bad Saturday night or whatever it may be. Versus seeing that God hates sin because He loves righteousness, then the grace that you have is not costly, is it? Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm good. Jesus, I believe in Jesus. I've been listening to house preaching and other preachers, and they talk about the grace of God and Jesus Christ. And I'm, but you see, until you are confronted with your sin. Let me tell you, high school students, you're getting ready to go off to college. I mean, you've been sitting here, you've been hearing this stuff, and you're going, well, um, yeah, okay. But let me ask you something. Have you been confronted with your need for Christ? So he confronts him. And how does he confront him? Let me tell you he confronts him. He does, again, well, I've already said this. He doesn't say, why did you do that, Peter? You know, he says, he says, Peter, do you love me? And, uh, and Peter says, well, Lord, you know I love you. But what well, Jesus says, no, no, no. You made that statement. Do you love me more than all of these? Who are the These. The disciples that are there, this is a public conversation. This, he's sitting around the fire. In fact, by the way, one of the ways he confronts him is he he's around a fire. And just a weeks earlier, he was denying him around the fire. He is putting it out there for him. And guys, you're, I'm just, you're never ever going to be healed until you lance the problem. And so, Peter says... Uh, yes, Lord, I do. I know I made that boast, but I love you. I do. So he asks him again, do you love me? And Peter says, and it might, he's not calling Peter here. He's calling, he switches back to Simon. You know what Simon means? Shaky, shaky one. You know what Peter means? Rock. He's denying his profession. He's going back to, oh, shaky one. Do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. And then the third time, and the, I think the most blistering one that really hit Peter was the third time he said, Lord, uh, uh, Peter, do you love me? And, he say, and it says in verse 17, he was grieved. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Now let me ask you this. So, so, so you're way deep in sin. Maybe you've gotten the hooks in you very good, okay? But if Jesus were to ask you, Do you love me? You know what she's going to say? I'm so grieved. Because you see, when it's regret, that's worldly sorrow that leads to death. You're sorry you got caught. You're sorry your life turned out the way it is. But you see, when it's conviction of the Holy Spirit, it comes with Jesus asking you, do you love me? And your repentance is because you've grieved his heart. Not you did something wrong. But, oh, Lord, I, I so fail you. Now, i tell you what. I love my wife. And I tell her I love her. And I'm trying to love her. But I feel like I fail most of the time. But I love her. So I have to wrap this up. So he confronts him. You see, until you're confronted, I'm just saying, t- until you're confronted, you're just going to be a miserable person. Because it's like, well, I'm a terrible person. I know I don't love God. I don't love people. No, 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 no. Jesus loves you. And if that doesn't bend you, then maybe you're not a Christian. Can we say that? Maybe you're not a believer. Is it okay for you today to say, maybe I'm not a Christian? Because I don't love God. I'd rather hate my mother, I'd rather hate my father. I'd rather hate that Christian on the other side of the church who did me wrong years ago, and we don't even know about it. And you bring that stuff in here. But you know what? You're always going to have sheep and goats in the church. Sometimes when people go off the rails, I feel bad. I feel like maybe I should have been a better preacher. And yet the fact of the matter is most people did not believe Jesus. So, so what is the sign that you love him? What, what, is, what does Jesus do after he kind of takes him apart? You know what he says? What does he kept to him do? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep." Yes, Peter, now that I know you love me, I will trust you with this gospel. Well, I have to ask you and know this is a short point, but what are you doing to feed the sheep? He said "Once you know you're loved and you're good and I mean again I'm saying I, I don't get up here and preach on Sunday mornings. And I hope Rob does and I don't think he does. I don't think Matt I don't think we're not getting up to say well we love the Lord and we are uh, we are uh, know what transubstantiation is and in, in for it's not, no I think the reason I like these guys is we get together every Monday back in that door for two hours, and we're looking at the Scriptures, and we're praying together and saying, God, would you please work in our people the way we need you to work in our heart? And I'm going to tell you this. He says, feed my sheep. And sheep, uh, I had this old man when I told him I was interested in going to ministry, An old preacher, retired, kind of cynical guy. He said, oh, why you want to be a preacher? I said, because I love God's sheep. I thought I had to say something spiritual, right? He was an old man. He's a preacher. He said, Really? I said, Yeah. And he said, Well, let me ask something. He said, You ever been bitten by a sheep? (laughs) But you know, it's it's, that you should be in the lives of smelly people. Sheep are nasty. They're dumb. You have to stoop down, you have to pick them up, fall down, pick them up. If you're a husband, you need to love your wife. Your wife needs to love your husband. You need to respect your husband. You need to honor your husband. Feed my sheep. Um, yeah, I just want you today. I'm talking to you right now. If you've been so far away, and you say, "Lord Jesus, I do love you," then f- feed the sheep. Preach the gospel. In fact, that by the way, look at the life of Peter. Did he continue to screw up? Oh, yes, he did. But he loved Jesus. Do you love Jesus? I know you keep hearing me talking about the love of Jesus, unconditional love of Jesus. But do you love Jesus? You kids, do you love Jesus? More than all these, you junior high kids, you college students, you single people, married people, bald headed people. Do you love Jesus? Feed my sheep. Amen? Amen. Can we all do that together? That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we love you for sending your son. And Jesus, I thank you that you keep picking up the sheep. That you will never leave us or forsake us. If we deny you, you will deny us. But if we're faithless yet, you remain faithful for you cannot deny yourself. So, Lord. So, Lord Jesus, bring hearts back. Bring your sheep that have wandered away. Bring them back so that they can be used. And we can all glorify the great shepherd of the sheep together. In Jesus' name, amen.